even heard a pastor say, now that was good. A pastor within our own denomination. And I just find those things fascinating. Um, I don't look to the halftime show to nurse me. Um, or, or It doesn't shock me. It doesn't surprise me. I do think our halftime shows are actually a litmus test of where our culture is, where our country is, what our values are, what our vision of the good life is. And actually, that halftime show was pretty nostalgic for me. That was the soundtrack of a lot of my youth. If you don't know who was there, it was Dr. Dre. He was the headliner, and it was different um, people that he had produced their music of, particularly that the chronic 2001. That was my freshman year of high school. That was the album. I think it dropped in November of 1999. I was a freshman at Daphne High School. I remember vividly being a new guy in a new school, walking to fourth block athletics from the high school, and all the sophomores who just got their cars and their trucks and their speakers were blasting the chronic, 2001. I know those lyrics. I sang those lyrics. It painted a vision of the good life to me and my friends. But at that time, I was still under my parents' roof. And the vision of the good life it painted wasn't that damaging for me because I could not live into it or act it out. Um, but let's fast forward four years. Freshman year of college. I was a freshman at Auburn. I entered into the fall of 2002. Spring of 2003 was my first spring break. That's when Get Rich or Die Trying hit 50 cents. The song for spring break was in the club. In the club. That was the song of Spring Break. Me and my frat brothers, in our cowboy boots and all, were in the bars of Auburn and Destin trying to embody that song. That song painted a vision of the good life for us. And at that time of my life, I was outside of my parents' roof. I could make my own decisions and choices. And I started to buy into that vision of the good life. And, and I'm not... Guys, I'm not here to pick on hip-hop. Oh, white guy in cowboy boots picking on hip-hop. No, I'm, I, I don't have any beef with any genre of music. It's not the music. Music is a vessel. It's the content of the music. And if you look at the Billboard Top 100, it doesn't matter if it's pop, country, or hip-hop. If you want to get down to the core roots of most of the messaging and most of the good life that it's portraying, it comes down to three things. Power, sex, and money. Power, sex, and money. It's more explicit in hip-hop. It's more in-your-face in, in hip-hop. But it's the undertone of all the other popular music as well. And it's not just a good beat. You get caught up in it. You find yourself singing it. And when you find yourself singing it, and going down the street to it, you find it's shaping your values, shaping your vision, shaping what you think brings contentment, satisfaction, the good life. Brothers and sisters, I gave into that life in college, and it did not bring the good life. It brought depression. It brought self-loathing. 
brought death. And I want to talk about today a different psalm. I want to, we're going to be in the Psalms today. In the Psalms, we're going to be particularly in Psalm 16. And the Psalm book is the song book of the people of God. And the vision of the good life that the Psalm book paints is much different than the vision of our popular music of the day. The halftime show was just a reflection of where we are as a culture. Hip-hop is the number one consumed genre in America. It shapes all of us. Whether you're listening to it or not, those values of power, sex, and money shape you. But the Psalms paint a different picture. Psalm itself in the Greek means a song to a string instrument. And it's the Psalm book that... Guys, I have preached out of the Psalms more than any other book when I do preach at Urban Hope. One reason is for that is because I want my people, I want the people, I want my flock to fall in love with the Psalm book of the Bible. Because when crisis hits, when suffering hits, it will sustain you. You know what won't? Power, sex, and money. And so I want to talk about a song, a song of the good life that we see in Psalm 16, a psalm that David penned that paints a different vision, that paints a good life that will sustain you when COVID hits, when cancer hits, when you lose a child, or when you lose a job. So turn with me to Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints of the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom I, is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, I want to I I break down the psalm for you, and I want to do three things. I want to answer three questions primarily. What is, or where, what is or where do you find the good life? Who are your companions or models in the good life? And then thirdly, what are the fruits, the blessings, the benefits of the good life? That's where we're going. Again, what is or where do you find the good life? Two, who are your companions or models in the good life, and who are they not? And then three, 
What are the benefits, the blessings, the rewards, the fruits of the good life? So let's answer that first one. Where do you find or what is the good life according to David? Look at verse 1 and 2 again. It says, preserve me, O God. Keep me, O God. Protect me, O God. For in you I take refuge. For in you I am safe. For in you I have shelter. For in you I'm good. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. David, in the beginning, and just a little context of this, we learn at the get-go, a little bit of context, he's seeking refuge. He's seeking for God to keep him, to preserve him. David is in the midst of some kind of crisis. Most scholars believe this is probably when he was fleeing Saul. If you know anything about David and Saul, Saul was the first king of Israel. Um, David started to raise up in, in, in influence. He was actually the anointed one of God that was going to take over from Saul. And so Saul tried, tried to snuff him out. So David was on the run hiding. Um, and so some scholars believe this might have been penned in that time. So a time of crisis. And he's seeking refuge. But you don't hear him pleading for it. He's speaking in confidence. He knows where his refuge is. He knows where his security is. He knows that it's in the presence of God. The good life, the pure life, the life of protection, security, and safety is in the presence of God. Let's look at that again. It's, it shows, um, preserve me, O God. He uses three different words for God here. There, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to you, the Lord. If you see this in the ESV, it's in all capital letters. It's not on our screen, but in, in your Bible, it should be in all caps. And, and what that represents is the personal name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh, because it, it seems a little confusing this reading. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. But actually, you can read it as I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. Lord, lowercase is Adonai. It means my master, my sovereign, the one I give allegiance to. So in three different ways, David is referencing God. And he's saying, essentially, in you, I have refuge. I like some of us like to say, I'm, I'm good. In you, I'm good. I, my welfare is good. I am safe. I am secure. I am good. So what I, I hear David saying, in you, I'm good. And apart from you, there is no good. That is the vision of the good life. The vision of the good life is being in the presence of God Almighty, the one that can protect you from anything that life throws at you. This became very real and palpable to me um, soon after college. I, uh, I came to faith later on in college, about senior year, after running my life in depression, trying to follow the vision of the world of power, sex, and money in the frat dream that that was. And uh, <laughs> as a new believer and, and being discipled by Campus Crusade, um, I found myself, after graduating college, jumping on a plane and going to China as a missionary. I've been walking with the Lord for about a year and a half. And it was a transformative time in my life because it separated me from a lot of the things that I struggled with. My abuse of alcohol, 
girls, etc., separating and putting me in Christian communities and focus on the mission of God. But I vividly remember a memory mid-year. I was sitting, I, I lived in the small Chinese town. Um, it, it, the weather there most of the time looked like the weather today or this weekend. The sister city of this city would be Seattle. It was always dreary. It, it, and, you know, if you, if you like weather and weather affects your emotions, uh, it's depressing. I lived in the second floor of this kind of ratty town. Um, out my back window was a, a pond that was algae covered and had trash built up around the side. And that's where I found myself um, in the middle of Christmas. And I'm sitting in my bed and I audibly laughed to myself because the first time in my life, I'd never been more content, more at peace, and more secure than I'd ever been in my life. And I realized it made absolutely no sense. Everything that had brought me peace, satisfaction, contentment, or joy in my life was halfway across the world. My family, my friends, and honey, in Christmas, where do you want to be? In the holidays, where do you want to be? You want to be with family. Or if you're in college and you, uh, you know, I was fresh out of college, you, you, were, you were waiting for New Year's to go get up with your friends or wherever you were going to have that party next, whether it was at the bowl game or where it might be. Friends. And y'all know I love to hunt. When I told some of my buddies I was going to China for a year, one of the first responses from my buddy, dead serious look on his face, he says, you mean you're not going to hunt for a year? <laughs> but I, the three things that have brought me the most joy and satisfaction in life were not present in my life. They were far playing right away. And yet I was the most content, satisfied, and full of joy because I was in the presence of God. I was doing what he called me to do. I felt purpose and vision and mission in life. And brothers and sisters, I tell you, when you taste the presence of God, you never want to leave it. There's no drug. There's no drink. There's no amount of money or power. There's no female or significant other that can compare to the peace, the satisfaction, the security of being in the presence of God. What is the vision of the good life? Where do you find it? You find it in the presence of God. Have you felt that? Have you experienced that? If not, seek it. The book of James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Claim that and seek it. Second question is, is who are our companions or models in the good life? Who are our companions and models in the good life? Let's, let's look at verses 3. Or verse 3. It says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, and who is all my delight? My delight. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, and whom is all my delight? Who? The saints. Literally means or could translate the holy ones. I would like to say Christians, but we're from the south. 
not everyone who professes Christ lives in a saintly way or are, are pursuing sanctification, sanctification, growing in holiness, growing in righteousness, growing to embody and be more and more like the life that Christ displayed. We, we have to, being in the South, it's almost like most of us are, we feel like we're born into the faith. That we, we are Christians by default. For most of my life, I've always professed Christ. I've always claimed Christ, but the way I was living in college, I was the worst kind of enemy of God. I was pressing Christ on my lips, but I was living the complete opposite. I was not a saint or a sanctified one. I was following the ways of the world. But David is delighting in the saints. He's delighting in the holy ones. He is the one that is, he is looking to them and being and seeing them encourages him. Those are the companions, the saints, the ones that are seeking the presence of God. They are the ones that we link up with. They are the ones that are our companions towards the good life. They are the ones we are to emulate and to model our lives after. Who are your companions? Who are you doing life with? Christianity is not a lone ranger pursuit. It's not a me, myself, and I pursuit. You are called to a people. You're called to community, and you need them to stay on focus. You need them to stay on the vision of the good life of being in the presence of God. Just coming to church on Sunday morning isn't going to sustain you seven days a week. You don't just come to church and get your check mark and think that's going to keep you on point, on focus, Monday through Saturday. Who are you doing life with Monday through Saturday? I don't know who said it. It's not the Bible, but I think there's truth to it. It says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You are the average of of the five people you are closest to. The people we hang out with affect us. They influence us. Are those five people saints? Are they seeking the presence of God? Are they keeping you on task? Are they distracted and deceived by the vision of the good life of the world? Power, sex, and money. There's another saying that says, if you lie down with dogs, you'll wake up with fleas. Do I need to explain that one to you? <laughs> it's just another way of saying the people you hang out with affect you. They influence you. You cannot do the Christian life alone. Who are your companions towards the good life of the presence of God? Here's another one. The saints. The saints are something you hear in church history. They can be people of the past. Who are your heroes? Who are the influencers you're following? Are they saints? Are they Christians? Are they pursuing the presence of God? 
Are they famous for no reason, like the Kardashians? Or however you say their name, Kardashians. Are they just sports athletes? Tom Brady, LeBron James. Y'all know what? They're phenomenal athletes. But they're poor heroes. Because as long as I know, as far as I know, I don't know, I don't know them. But their stats and their rings aren't going to hold up on the day of judgment. When Tom Brady shows up on the day of judgment, God's not going to be impressed with his stats, his rings, and his supermodel wife. He's going to say, what did you do with my son? Who are your heroes? I've got some heroes. I love to read. Let me read. Re Y'all should all have heroes, saints, Christians, people that have finished the race and finished it well, that you read, that you study their lives, that they've been through some stuff, and they stayed faithful, and they stayed true. I just recently, this past week, finished the biography of Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer is one of my heroes. If you don't know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor um, at the time of World War II. He led a resistance to the Nazi regime. The, this, the National Church of Germany sided with Hitler. He broke out with others and started the Confessing Church and actually was a spy and tried to, was a part of a coup to assassinate Hitler because of all the death that he was going. Dietrich Bonhoeffer spent a year and a half in jail, or almost two years and a half in jail. He got found out in conspiracy. He was executed and martyred three weeks before Hitler committed suicide. Y'all know what sustained him in prison? You know one of the things he did? He wrote. He continued his work. He shared his faith with them. You, you read any of the accounts of all the people he spent, they're like he was the most lovable man. He exuded Christ. He encouraged everybody. You read his letters, he was going through and what was staining him was the word of God. You know what one book he wrote was? The Psalms. The prayer book of the Bible. He penned that when he was in prison. Before he was martyred. I have other heroes. Martin Luther King Jr. is someone I study. Johnny Cash. Y'all might not know that Johnny Cash was a Christian. He, he, all our heroes have clay feet. They're not perfect. No one's going to measure up to Jesus. But you don't need perfect heroes because you're not perfect. But are they submitted to God and seeking the presence of God? Who are your heroes? Who are your models? David makes it clear it is saints in the land that he delights in. And he also warns us who we should not model, who we should not make our heroes. Look at verse 4. It says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. It's talking about those that are pursuing the lowercase gods who are not gods at all. But we make them gods. The gods of power, sex, and money. He says, I'm not pouring out my drink offerings. Drink offerings were a way of, of, of showing allegiance, a, a kind of a sacrifice, libations, if you've heard of that. He says, I'm not going to take part in that. 
I'm not going to worship the things of other gods. He says, I'm not even going to put their name upon my lips. And this brings me back to music. You can say it's not affecting you. You can say it's just a nice beat. But you know what you find yourself doing? You find yourself lifting the lyrics. What are the content of the lyrics? What is the vision of the good life that's painted? Is it nothing but the blood of Jesus? Or is it pushing P? What good life are you after? Who are your companions in your journey to the good life? Who are your heroes and models in your journey of the good life? And lastly, well, I thought of a quote, and I never read y'all the quote. Let me read that quote. I think I cued it, and I never even referenced it. Joe, can you bring up that quote? <laughs> Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, a pastor in England, um, and he said this. He said, there's nothing that I know of next to reading, the reading of the scriptures themselves, which is more profitable in the Christian life than a careful, constant reading and study of Christian biography. And of course, the book of Psalms is the preeminent in that very respect. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a powerful preacher. He was known for his preaching. He battled depression often. He was deeply acquainted with the Psalms. He, he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, just talking about how the Psalms sustained him in his depression. Who are the Christians that you're studying? Who are your heroes? Who are your models? The psalm book is a display of Christian biography. It's the people of God and how they have experienced every emotion known to man, but kept their vision and set their eyes on the presence of God. Let's move to point three. Point three, what are the blessings, the fruits, the rewards of the good life? What are the blessings, the fruits, the rewards, the benefits of the good life? Again, let's look back to the word. Verse 5, it says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The Lord, again, Yahweh. Yahweh is my chosen portion. And my cup. He's my daily sustenance. I remember Jesus Christ said we do not live by bread alone, but the word of God. What David is saying is that God is supplying my necessities, my basic needs of bread and water. He is my portion. And he is my cup. He goes on to say that my lot, my lines have fallen in pleasant places. These are the, the lot, this is land or a house or something that holds security. Again, the basics. 
food, water, shelter. God providing the basic necessities for his people. That is a fruit. That is a benefit. That is a reward. God, throughout the journey in the wilderness, provided what for the day? Manna for the day. What did the Lord teach us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Are we taking these things for granted? Is God providing your manna for the day? Is he giving you your daily bread? You see, are we content with that? Y'all know I've got two sons. And it's funny, you start trying to father your children, and they start teaching you things about yourself. And uh, Abe's into monster trucks and little Hot Wheel monster trucks. And he's got a load of them. And uh, for, for Christmas, he got a kind of a monster truck race, race track jumping thing that launches these trucks and these Hot Wheels. And it had names of multiple monster trucks, kind of like... Um, like billboards, but they're all names of certain monster trucks he did not have. And so after that, he says, I need Mega Rex. I need Demo Derby. I need Tiger Shark. I need Bone Shaker. And I'm like, son, you don't need any of them. You want Mega Rex. You want Bone Shaker. You want Tiger Shark. You want Demo Derby, you do not need them. You got 15 trucks already. You only got two hands. <laughs> and I said, son, you want them. Needs are food. Needs are water. Needs is a roof over your head. Needs is a mother and a father that will protect you. Those are needs. You want those monster trucks. And a good father wants you to have them too. God doesn't promise all our wants. See, he will provide your needs. Can you find contentment in that? I wrestle with that, guys. I'm just like Abe in hunting season. I need to kill a deer. I need to kill a turkey. No, you don't, Chad. Your closet's full of deer heads. And you got drawers full of turkey beard. But when I start to buy into that as the vision of the good life, I confuse my needs and my wants. And my heart gets out of whack, and I start to lose contentment in life and be satisfied with the basic necessities of manna for the day, my daily bread, that I'm not going to want for real. One of the blessings and benefits of the good life is that God meets you in your necessities. And a good God does want you to have your wants, but he knows better what you need than what you do. So be patient with him. Next it says, I bless the Lord. This is verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also 
my heart instructs me. The Lord, one of the benefits, one of the blessings, one of the fruits of being in the presence of God is that he guides you in life. He gives you direction. He gives you purpose. He doesn't leave you in chaos. He doesn't leave you wandering. He gives you clarity of what he desires of you and requires of you. And I'm not saying it means God says this is the exact job, but he, what does the Lord require of you? What does Micah 6, 8 say? say someone say it out loud. Seek justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. This is what the Lord requires of you. This is the will of God. How else can we say it? What is the great two commandments? Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love who? Your neighbor as yourself. This is the will of God. This is the purpose of God. This is the mission of God. Go and make disciples. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This, this is the purpose. Go do whatever job you want to do. But do those things as well. God will instruct you. you know, the book of James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what? Ask God and he will give it to you abundantly. There are so many people walking around this world not knowing the left and the right. They have no vision, purpose, mission, or idea what to do. God will give you clarity. He doesn't live it. And you've got the book, the word of God, that tells you the will of God. One of the fruit, blessings, benefits is that God instructs us and guides us in life. Thirdly, he provides security and stability. This is going throughout. We've already mentioned this. This is in the presence of God. I'm safe. I'm secure. I have shelter. But he continues on. David continues to reiterate this fact. It says in verse 8, I have set the Lord, I have set Yahweh always before me. I have set my vision, my hope, my purpose, my eyes, my focus upon Yahweh always before me. And it says, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I shall not be moved. I am secure. I am safe. The right hand is the side of power. It's the side of, side of honor. It's the side of blessing. This is because the right, most people are right hand dominant. And so there, this is a metaphor, but also in battle, the shield was on the left arm. The sword was in the right if you're in battle formation, it's the one to your, right, to your right that shields your weak side. Who's at David's right side? God Almighty, Yahweh. Ain't nobody getting on that side. He's got him covered. He's safe. He's secure. He cannot be shaken. Again, this was real life. David was a warrior. Saul wanted him dead. He was fighting battles. He says, my God will keep me. One of the fruits, the benefits, the blessings of the good life, being in the presence of God is it brings stability, it brings security that you're good. 
that you're saying. And here's the climax of it all. These were all present realities, present things that David was experiencing and claiming. But then he starts to think in the future. Because you do this for me now, because I have these blessings, these benefits now, I trust you in the future. It says in verse 9, I'm just going to read 9 through 10. It says, therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh who dwells, what? Secure. For you will, future tense, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, not abandon my soul to the grave. Verse 10, or the end of verse 10, or let your holy one, your saints, see corruption, see decay. This is power David lived 1,000 years before Christ. He's saying, you, will not, you, you have kept me, you are God, your presence, you're going to keep me even from the grave, even for seeing ultimate decay and destruction. These last few verses should sound familiar, not just because we read them again, but this is what Peter preached at Pentecost. Let's pull, up, let's pull up the passage that Pastor Alton taught last week, Acts 2. Again, this is the passage that Pastor Alton preached. How does, how does Peter interpret this line? It says in verse 23, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosened the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David, referring to the author of this psalm, and he's about to quote this psalm, says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also would dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Here's Peter's interpretation. Or this is the continuum of the, of the quote. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then the interpretation. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. He saw the grave, and he saw corruption. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, God made a covenant with David. You will have an everlasting kingdom. One of your... Your, your descendants will reign on the throne forever. Next slide. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he, was, that he was not abandoned to Hades, to hell, to the pit, to the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. The good life and the vision of the good life in the presence of God is the resurrection life. It's life in Jesus. Jesus is the one that won our access to God the Father, to be in the presence of God the Father. These last few lines, it is in Jesus. Verse 11, it is in Jesus 
Jesus has made known to me the path of life. He lived it out on this earth. He died the death I deserve, and he is the first to resurrect, and I have that inheritance and that hope myself because of Jesus. I know the path of life. In, the pre- in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Jesus won our access to the presence of God so that we could experience that joy. That is that joy I was experiencing on my bed in China when it made absolutely no sense to my circumstances. And lastly, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is not temporary. This is eternal. The resurrection. We have the hope in Jesus that we too will be resurrected. That the grave will not hold us down. That we will not decay and we will not see corruption. But we have the hope of eternal life where we will ultimately be fully without sin and in the presence of God Almighty. And that is the vision of the good life. The good life that we are to pursue, the good life that we are to attain for, the one that we should link up with companions in and read models of, that we read these benefits of basic necessities and instruction is the resurrection life in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, death is the biggest fear you could ever have. And it's already been solved for you. We're just passing through this world. This is dress rehearsal. But we have a mission and a vision. Set your mind on the Lord and on the good life that he set before you. I want to end with this. I didn't tell them I was going to talk about them, but I'm going to brag on a, on, a, on a couple that I've been meeting with. I've, I've had the privilege and honor to meet with along with Karen for about a year, year and a half. How long have we been meeting, Mr. James and Miss Vanessa? March will be a year. It ain't been a year. But brothers and sisters, I have come to see this couple come in the presence of God. I've seen them come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I've seen it radically transform their demeanor and their outlook on life. One of my favorite meetings every other week is meeting with James and Vanessa on Monday. They are hungry for the word of God. And it's so sweet how God meets them. We'll study something on Monday. And me and, me and Pastor Alton do not coordinate. And what the sermon is about will reiterate what was taught on Monday. And I see them nodding back and forth. But I want to tell you this. The other day, when I, when I met, I guess about a month ago, Mr. James came to me. He said, Pastor Chad, I got something to tell you. He says, for a long time, I've been battling with my blood pressure. You know, I had to go to checkups. I had to go to the doctor. He's like, I went to this doc- the, the doctor this weekend, and I called Miss Vanessa. She says, what is it? They gotta, you got to stay, and your blood pressure has to be monitored. He's like, no, buddy. I'm good. Pastor Chad, I'm good. His blood pressure, first time in how long? First time in five years. He was happily excited. I, what I saw in Mr. James was the soul of Mr. James singing out the vision of the good life. Nothing in your life has changed. The circumstances, your perspective on life. Your hope in life, your security, 
you know that God's got you and you're good. So things don't affect you like they used to, knock you off kilter like they used to. You are no longer been able to be shaken. And it's regulated his blood pressure. That's a good life to think about. I told him he needed to tell his doctor what to prescribe, and that's Jesus. <laughs> What's your vision of the good life? What's your vision of the good life? Are you seeking the presence of God? Are you resting in that? Are you linking up with companions to pursue that? Are you reading models of the saints before you to keep you persevering in that? Are you satisfied with the rewards of it? Your biggest problem is solved. Death will not reign over you. You will be resurrected and be fully forevermore at the pleasures of God in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. I'm over time, so I'm just going to wrap us into um, just some housekeeping notes. Again, if you're a visitor or um, a regular, not visitor, my bad. If you're a regular attender or a member, I just want to continue to put before you in your mind, as you park on Sundays, please park from, from our, our, the block that we're on back towards restoration. We want to be mindful of Magic City Grill, which is a business that's operating on Sunday, and the other church that's worshiping in the same hour. We want to respect the parking. There's limited parking. So continue to, to, to think of that. Um, and then also new member classes. Michael already mentioned it, but the way we do new membership is we, we go through classes. I'm, I'm in charge of that. And so if you're interested in membership, please let me know. I'll put you on the list. And that starts March 20th. Um, it'll be before church, three weeks in a row at 9.15, we'll run up into the service. And so I'd love to have you join us for that. Again, um, you don't have to join if you go through the class, but to join, you have to go through the class. Does that make sense? All right, and lastly, there'll be uh, part of the prayer team over to my left, um, and we would love to pray for you for anything that you might have or bring before us. So please rise for the benediction. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I thought about, I thought about asking. <laughs>